Man, good morning, Real Life Church. And how are you this morning? It is it is good to be in God's house this morning. Appreciate Pastor Tim giving me the opportunity to preach this morning. I look forward to having the opportunity to do so and uh, just to share God's word with you today. I'm going to do a message this morning titled "The Rest of the Story." The rest of the story. January 2nd, 1956, was the day that 29-year-old Jim Elliott had looked forward to and had spent three years planning for. It was the day that they would make contact with a remote tribe in the Ecuadorian jungle known as the Alca Indians. In a short time, he and four other missionaries would be setting up camp in their territory, very dangerous territory in the Ecuadorian jungle. From the information available to them, the Alca had killed every outsider that had ever tried to make contact with them. Every group that had tried to come in and talk and evangelize this tribe, they had killed every one of them. But there was not a one of these five men that doubted that God was calling them to bring the Gospel to the Alka Indians. Their first contact had really come months before this day when they lowered a bucket filled with gifts down to a group of the Indians. They had, they had a really unique system that they used to contact these Indians. They would, they would take their little Cessna plane up and they would fly in very tight circles round and around and around. And as the plane went around in circles, they would lower a bucket. And the motion of the plane going around and around created kind of a, a circular effect, almost like a tornado, if you would. And that bucket would lower straight down, almost as if they were dropping it from a helicopter. So they'd put gifts in for the Indians. They'd lower it down. And eventually... One day, after doing this for several months, they pulled the bucket up and the Indians had put a gift for them in the bucket. So they decided at that point that the time has come for them to make personal contact with these Indians. So they found a small beach along the river. They felt like maybe they could land the plane there. And they began to lay plans. They were going to land, they were going to build a shelter where they could be safe until friendly contact could be made with the Indians. The missionaries were flown in one by one. could only fit two people, a pilot and a missionary in the plane. So one by one, they flew them into this beach and dropped them off. They built a shelter where they felt they could be safe, got their camp set up, And they waited. They waited. After four days, after four days of waiting, an Alka man and two women emerged from the jungle. They came out to them on the beach. They were were so excited. It really wasn't easy for them to communicate because this was a mostly unknown language. 
They shared a meal together. They cooked for him. They made him dinner. And they tried as best they can to show themselves to be friendly. And although they knew only a few phrases, they asked them to bring others back with them the next time. They were so excited to have actually made contact with the Alka Indians. And so they waited again. After two days, as they were sitting one afternoon, they looked up and they saw two Alka women come out of the jungle. In their excitement, they jumped up from their camp and they started wading across the river to meet them. But they noticed almost immediately that these two women weren't friendly like the others were. And as they made their way across the river, suddenly they heard a terrifying cry from behind them. And they turned around to see a group of Alka men come running out of the jungle with their spears raised. And within seconds, the Alka warriors had killed all five of the missionaries on that beach. After that, they ravaged the plane. This is a picture of when the group came in to try to find the bodies and, and any rescue that might take place. They, they tore the plane apart. I, they, they ravaged the plane and, and it was just it was a horrible scene. And the world was stunned when it learned the fate of these five missionaries. When word began to get out about the missionaries who killed in the jungle of Ecuador, the world, they just couldn't believe it. There were so many questions. There were so many questions being asked. How could God have allowed this to happen? I mean, we really stop and think about it. We know it would be God's will for these Indians to hear the Word of God. We know that to be true. Why would God allow these men these five men who had surrendered for the ministry, who had gone and, and prepared in Bible college and seminary, who had surrendered to missions, who had prepared for three years to make contact with this tribe. Why would God allow these men to die when they were so close? They'd made friendly contact a couple days before. They were so close to being able to reach into this tribe and share the gospel with them. Can we just say that that makes no sense? It makes no sense. Why would God allow this to happen? But this morning, let's, let's leave the jungles of Ecuador for now. And let's see if we can draw this down a little closer. See if we can make this a little more personal. Have you ever faced a circumstance where you said, this makes no sense? Maybe you faced a circumstance where you said, how can this be God's will? How can this be God's will for my life? I've said it from this stage before. The, tw the toughest question in ministry is why. One of the toughest times to be a pastor 
is when someone from the church that you love comes to you and says, why? Why did God allow my child to die? Why did God let me get cancer? Why did I lose my job? Why did God let my spouse cheat? There's no easy answers to these questions. There never is. Sometimes the answer is just plain old sin. There are things that happen because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. It's ugly sometimes. Sin is always ugly and it always hurts. But other times it gets more complicated when we get into the area of God's will. When we start talking about things that God allows into our lives because it's His will His purpose for that time. Have you ever had a hard time understanding God's will? Have you ever just kind of wondered, God, why? What are you doing? Could we be honest enough to say this morning that sometimes the why question has chipped away at our faith? Sometimes... We get, we get stuck in that why. God, why did you allow this to happen? And we'd like for this situation to be gone, for this circumstance to be finished. But it seems to go on and on and on. And it starts to chip away at our faith. And Satan loves to do that. He usually doesn't come and go, take away your faith all at once. He loves to just chip away at it. Maybe a little bit today. You don't even notice. And then he chips away a little bit tomorrow. And a little bit the next day. And before you know it, you go, what's happened? How did I get here? It's a dangerous place to be. And we don't want to dwell there very long. So, so what do we do? How do we fight the battle of why? How do we fight this battle when, when maybe we're having a hard time understanding or, or maybe a better word is accepting God's will? And can I be a transparent enough to say this morning that, that I've struggled with this recently? I've struggled with this just recently. Been through a time like this. Sometimes when you're a pastor and you're preaching the message, the one that needs to hear it the most is you. I think sometimes that's why God will lay a specific message on a pastor's heart because he knows that he needs to hear it. In my struggle, I found this verse that helped. I was going to say a little, but honestly it helped a lot. In Job chapter 42, verse 3, it says this, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered that I understood not. Now catch this. Things too wonderful for me. Things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. You know, there are things that God is going to do 
that we will never understand. He's going to do stuff in our lives and the lives of those around us that we are just never going to understand. But is it possible that when we don't understand God's will, it's because His will is simply too wonderful for us to understand? We know it's true. We know it's true. But we may need to go through a process to get to the point that we believe it. So four things this morning for us to do when we're stuck in the why. When we get stuck, where we have that that why, we're trying to accept, we're trying to understand God's will. Four things we need to look at. The first one is, it's okay to ask why. It really is. It's okay to ask why. God's feelings are not going to be hurt if we question Him. Okay? He's a big God. He, he can handle it. Okay? It's okay to be angry. It's okay to cry. It's okay to yell and fuss a little bit. Because those are, those are emotions that God has placed within us. Now, we have to be careful not to carry those emotions to the point that they become sin. But we can talk to God about it. We, we tend to think that it's some great sin to ask God why something happened. We, we don't dare question God. We don't dare ask Him why He did something or, or why He allowed us. I mean, if, if we question God, he, He's surely going to smite us. Now, now be honest, has anybody here ever been smote? No, I, I, didn't, I didn't think so. No, nobody here has been smote by God. It's okay. We can ask Him those tough questions. He can handle our why. Again, He's a big God. He can handle it. If we look at the example of King David in the Psalms, he actually fusses at God quite a bit about his circumstances. If you read through the book of Psalms, you will find again and again where David really does fuss at God quite a bit. Now, he never loses his perspective that God is God. Okay? We can question, we can ask questions, we can ask why, but we need to keep in focus the fact that God is God. But David, a man after God's own heart, expressed his emotions openly to God. In one place, he said, why do the heathen rage? Why do the heathen rage? Translation, God, why are you letting these guys get away with that? Have you ever had that question? God, why, why are you letting these guys get away with that? One point, he's like, God, why haven't you answered? I've been crying out to you. I've been seeking. I've been praying. Why haven't you answered? One point he said, God, why have you forsaken me? Why, why have you abandoned me? You know, sometimes when the why gets difficult and Satan starts chipping away at our faith, we get that feeling, don't we? Have you ever felt that way? God, why have you abandoned me this in this? Where are you? 
Where are you in this? At one point, David says, Lord, how long? How long am I going to have to go through this? How long am I going to have to struggle with this? These are all difficult things. And the hard part. It's a little hard to swallow sometimes. But the next point is, God does not owe us an answer. He doesn't owe us an answer. He doesn't owe us anything. We owe Him everything. We owe Him everything. One of the overwhelming thoughts in the book of Job is that God never gives Job a reason for what he did. Job was faithful. He was generous. He was committed. He was a great family man. And God allowed Satan to take almost everything from him. Job's wife and friends encouraged him to demand an answer from God. And although God did deal with some issues in Job's life, there was a purpose for what he was doing. He he dealt with some specific issues in Job's life. He never gave Job an answer that would even remotely begin to explain what happened. And there's a reality in this that we need to learn for our lives. And it's this. Most of our whys go unanswered. That's a tough thing to stop and realize. Most of our whys go unanswered. We're not going to get an answer. And when they do, when, when those whys, when those difficult times come in our lives where we're questioning, God, why did you do this? And there's no answer coming. When they do, we need to hold on to a couple of things. There's a couple of responses that we need to have when those dark times come. And the first is this. Hope is our only response. Hope is our only response to God in those times. The worst thing we can do is to lose our hope. Because if you think things are bad now, wait till you lose your hope. Psalm 43, 5 says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Does that sound like somebody who's in a troubled spot? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? This is someone saying, hey, I'm going through a troubled time. I'm discouraged. My soul is in turmoil. There's no peace in my life at this time. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? But gets this. Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise Him who is the health of my countenance and my God. We can't lose our hope. But the difficult part in applying this verse is that 
the one we are to have hope in is often the one that we feel let us down. Hope in God. But God's the one we're asking why. That, that, that's a tough challenge right there. When our prayers go unanswered. Hope in God. When there's an unexpected end to what we were hoping was going to happen. Hope in God. When we ask that why question. Hope in God. When we see no solution. When there seems to be no way out. God is our only hope. Eventually, if our faith crumbles and we lose our hope, we're going to wind up at the bottom of the barrel. We get to that point where there's nowhere to look but up. Unless you're stupid like me and then you grab a shovel and start digging. You ever hit bottom and just keep digging? Yeah. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where there's nowhere to look but up. Where God is our only hope. This verse promises us that when we put our hope in God, no matter how big the why, no matter how difficult the circumstances, when we put our hope and our faith and our trust in God, we will one day praise Him again. Because He's not going to leave us there. If we'll put our hope and our faith and our trust in Him. It may be that today is darker than it has ever been. But hope says tomorrow's coming. Today, your why might make for a very dark day. But hope says tomorrow's coming. Hope says we can hang on for one more day. No matter how dark today may be, hope says we can hang on for one more day. And then maybe another, and another if needed, and another until one day we praise Him again. You know, there may come a point that we lose hope, but the source of hope is never going to lose us. When, when we hit rock bottom, He's never going to let us go. He still has a will and a purpose and a desire for our life. And the reason that we can put our hope in God is because God is always good. When we hit the bottom, when we hit rock bottom, and we look up and we put our hope and our trust in God, we can do so knowing that God is always good. Now, let's be clear. The situation or the circumstances that we're facing, they're not good. They're not good. 
There's nothing good about losing a child. The diagnosis of cancer is never good news. I have never seen someone come run into the office and go, Yeah! Cancer! There's nothing good about having cancer. But God is good. And His plan for us is good. As a loving Father, He will never plan evil for us. That's a promise that we can hold on to. He will never plan evil for us. Jeremiah 29.11, it says this, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Last part of that verse. To give you an expected end. God has a plan for your life that has an expected end. For each and every one of you, there is an expected end that God has planned for your life. The problem we have is that we believe the expected end will be the end that we want. God has a plan for my life, and I am just sure that it matches my plan. You ever been there? God... Hey, let, God, let me tell you my plan for my life. I know this is what you want for me. But it doesn't work that way. We, we want the cancer to be cured. We want it to be cured. We want the marriage restored. We want our job back. But the issue is that all of those things are temporal things. God works in the eternal not the temporal. Our, our, our temporal challenges, our, our whys in life, are just a speck on the timeline of eternity that God works in. Yes, He cares about those things, but His expected end is looking at a much bigger picture. Yes, we're going through a trial right now. Today may be darker than any other day we faced But God has an expected end for us. And the exciting thing about that is, I have it in writing, that it is going to be good. God's expected end for me is going to be good. In fact, it's going to be be beyond anything that I could ever have imagined. Just like it is for you. God's expected end for you is beyond anything that you could ever imagine. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. Remember the verse we just looked at? It says God has good thoughts towards us. He is preparing an expected end. That expected end is going to be beyond imagination for those of us that love Him, that put our hope, and that put our trust in Him. An expected end that is going to blow 
our minds. So let's go back to the jungle in Ecuador for just a few minutes. Some of you guys will remember the old uh, Paul Harvey radio program. How many of you remember Paul Harvey on the radio? Okay, just, just to bring everybody else up to speed. Paul Harvey had this endearing grandpa voice when he talked. And he'd, he'd come on the radio and he would always tell a story about somebody who started out and wound up in a mess and it just built and built and built and and just when everything seems lost, they went to a commercial break and he'd come back and he'd recap a little bit and then he'd say, and now the rest of the story. And he'd go on to tell about how everything turned out right and everybody became rich and famous and all of those kind of things in the story. Well, now we're going to look at the rest of the story. Back to the Ecuador's of jungle, the jungles of Ecuador. It, it, it made no earthly sense. It made no earthly sense for those five men to die on the banks of that river. They were doing the right thing for the right reason. They wanted to see the Alka Indians reached for Christ. And they were killed there alongside the river. But less than two years later, Elizabeth Elliot, wife of one of the pilots, her daughter and Rachel Saint, a sister of one of the pilots, were actually able to move into the Aka village and share the gospel with them. The third generation of their family is still working with the Alka Indians today. Three generations are with them. And the exciting thing is, they're no longer evangelizing the Alka Indians. The Alka Indians are considered now to be a Christian tribe. This, this third generation of missionaries that are there working with them are equipping and training them to go out and share the gospel with other tribes in the region. They have gone deep into the jungles of Ecuador and reached tribes that white man didn't even know were there. They've gone in, they've shared the gospel, they've started churches. The Indians that those five men died trying to reach are now the evangelists. Incredible story. And through circumstances that no one understood, no one understood why God would let these five men die. Through those circumstances, the work that has been done has far out exceeded what would have originally been possible. They've done incredible things. God's plan, God's expected end is always good if we will put our hope and trust in Him. But sometimes we have to wait for the rest of the story. When, when things seem dark, when we have why questions when we don't understand 
Just wait. Just wait. There's an expected end coming. And it's going to be incredible. Could you bring up the next slide? These are the wives of the pilots who were killed. They served for many years with this tribe. One of the ladies, Elizabeth Elliot, got to lead the men who killed her husband to the Lord. One of the men who threw spears that day sought out her forgiveness and became one of the head evangelists that was going out and reaching into these other tribes. Absolutely incredible story. Can you bring up the next one? This is Rachel Saint. She was probably 25, 26 when she went to work with the Alka Indians. She spent the rest of her life ministering to the tribe that killed her brother. Incredible story. Something that wasn't understood. Something that people asked why. Had an expected end. It was beyond anything they could have imagined. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning.